Hello and welcome, our friends, to the Midwest Football Podcast. On this show, we don't argue points we don't believe in just to get you riled up. This isn't a professional banter show. This is analytical coverage of why things are happening for the NFL's upper Midwestern teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. And we do it with a side of fantasy football because even if you're here mainly for the fantasy football coverage, the best way to win at fantasy football is to understand real football. I'm Joe Smith, recording live from the Motor City on June 20th, where we are so desperate for a sports winner, we look at a Tigers team that's 10 games below 500 and say, eh, we're only five games back in the division. Here's my less snake bit friend from Chicago, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. It's a beautiful, nice, cool San Antonio evening where it we're recording this time at 7.30 at night, and it is still 102 degrees out, and it apparently is going to be 108 for the next two weeks, and probably hotter in August. I don't know. It's my first summer here. I'm regretting this a little bit, but we'll see how it goes. Let's get out of the football to distract me from not being able to go outside without melting on the sidewalk. <laughs> and we do have a great show for our listeners today. We have Steelers running back Najee Harris deciding, accidentally or not, to become an advocate for his position. We deep dive on the Lions-Rams trade of Matthew Stafford now that all the relevant draft picks have been used. We'll examine the value of T. Higgins and what the plan might be for the Bengals with all that skill position talent they've accumulated. And of course, stick around to the end of the show for our analysis of the underdog draft we did live in last week's show. That's episode 10. We're on episode 11 now. First, though, we have an important update on everybody's favorite wide rediva, Antonio Brown. Brian, why don't you start by summing up that article you sent me last Friday? He became the owner of the Albany Empire, an arena football team in the National Arena League team. He wasn't paying players. Apparently, they tried to organize a protest, so he locked them out of their hotel room eventually so they couldn't get their stuff eventually led led to the league granting the release of their star quarterback where he signed with jacksonville and then did a tell-all interview before we get into the new update i just want to say something i forgot last week and i'm glad i have the opportunity to redeem myself we all forget that the greatest travesty in sports possibly mankind's history as a whole is that antonio brown as he said himself never ever had the chance to watch himself play live because he was never in the stands. He was always on the field playing. It's a, poor, it's a rough man. He had a rough life. I get it. Did I miss anything? <laughs> Not nearly as much as Antonio Brown. <laughs> when football players say they left it all on the field, Antonio Brown might actually mean it. it mostly is sanity and brains. I think he also got into a scrape with the uh, Orlando uh, arena owner too, uh, which uh, is not PG enough for us to contact, comment on, but you, you can look it up online if you're listening and you're curious what uh, that was all about. Yes, not safe for work. Yep. <laughs> How funny is it that just days after we comment on Antonio Brown as a league owner or a team owner in a league, he might own the team, but he's not in the league anymore. The uh, league uh, kicked him out for not paying his players and uh, some other violations. I think the player stuff was resolved, but he was also not paying membership dues for the league. And he was not paying his suspension money and fine money for mm. all of his erratic behavior. 
So eventually the leagues looked at what was happening and just said, you know what? Heave to the hoe. I was to say, other than relegation in the English Premier League soccer, which isn't actually kicked out of the league, it's just demoted. I don't think I've ever heard of a team just getting booted from a league before. So that's impressive. Not even Daniel Snyder could pull that off for the Washington football team. Most owners aren't, I'm sorry, most owners aren't stupid enough to just give the finger to the league organization and not pay basic dues. <laughs> I mean, this is the problem that I see with Antonio Brown as he develops. He starts just gaslighting people and then getting mad when they call him on the BS. Yep, sounds about right. You can't stay crazy if you deal with reality, you know? I mean, I don't know how a person gets like that. I just, I don't. It To me, this blows my mind that somebody could be that delusional. That they think that they can control what people think and what reality is just because they say that's what it is. I mean, am I wrong? Is anything I'm saying sound incorrect? I mean, it, it, I don't try to understand crazy. Crazy is crazy. <laughs> irrational i don't know <laughs> don't try to make heads or sense of it you know look from the albany empire point of view the albany empire was one of the last six remaining teams from the arena football league which was the original arena football that came up you know in the 80s the test season in 86 and then started legitimately in 87, ran more or less continually until 2019, except they did go belly up after the 2008 season then had to reorganize. The Albany Empire has been a good team and has been a good team recently. So it took something. They won the last ever AFL championship in 2019, but they also finished first in 2018, but they lost in the playoff. And then they moved over after a year off, they moved to the NAL where they won back-to-back championships to start and then were terminated seven games into this season and never got to finish under Antonio Brown. Right. They're the defending champs and Antonio Brown basically killed them in two months. By the way, they were one in six under Antonio Brown's ownership. So maybe putting out of the misery would be uh, the way to describe it. They, w- they lost five games in the previous two seasons combined. <laughs> yeah. They- <laughs> Which, by the way, there are some pretty significant Midwest ties to arena football in general. The original test game for, uh, for the arena football concept was in Rockford, Illinois, between two just kind of arbitrarily created teams that called the Rockford Metros and the Chicago Politicians. Why they came up with Chicago politicians, I don't know. And then they held another game at the Rosemont Horizon. I used to go there. They invited ESPN to the game, and they didn't air the whole game, but they did air a highlights package. The Rosemont Horizon is in, I believe, the northern suburbs. Northwest, yeah. Northwest suburbs. Out and off the blue line. Near O'Hare, on the way to O'Hare. Maybe some of our Steelers fans will remember the Pittsburgh Gladiators, who were a uh, founding member of the Arena Football League, along with the Denver Dynamite, Washington Commandos, and Chicago Bruisers. 
So the first regular game was at the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. You could make a credible case that the birthplace of arena football is shared between Pittsburgh and Chicago. The first true dynasty being the Detroit Drive, who were highly successful playing in Joe Louis Arena, the first sports team owned by the Illiches. Back before anybody knew who they were, before they bought the Red Wings and before they bought the Tigers. They owned the Detroit Drive and they won like crazy. The Drive went to the Arena Bowl every single year of their existence. 88 to 93. They were a fairly big deal around Detroit at that time. But then after Mike Illich bought the Tigers, he sold the AFL team. So the drive moved to Massachusetts. The All-Star game, the first All-Star game was in Des Moines, Iowa, the future home of the Iowa Barnstormers, a famous team because that was Kurt Warner's team, where he managed to get out of football obscurity. What did he do after he left the AFL? I don't know that guy. He only like what won a Super Bowl and went to two or three. (laughs) <laughs> I think he ended up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. There's a movie about him. Yeah. <laughs> two Super Bowl appearances with the Rams, one championship, and t- it even took the Cardinals to a Super Bowl and they lost to the Steelers. Yeah, but, you know, the Rams, when they were in St. Louis, which, you know, you can make a pretty good case is the Midwest. I don't know if we've got any uh, too many listeners there but if they were still st louis rams we would be covering them but uh they went to solus west coast la so they're no longer midwest landers sorry la people if you're listening (laughs) the people listening are probably transplant from the midwest anyways yes everybody loves la well no they don't necessarily love la they just want la to send money but um But yeah, I mean, it's not like this was some fledgling team that Antonio Brown bought on a whim and it didn't work out. This was a team with a tradition of winning in a league that had been around for a while. And he might have bought it on a whim. I don't know. I think he does everything on a whim, to be honest. So That's true. Oh, There was a ridiculous account. That he was trying to, that he was going in front of people and trying to say that he didn't own the team at all. The team was actually owned by this guy that he totally made up. Call, I swear I'm not coming up with this. I read this report somewhere that he was saying it was actually owned by Antonio L. Ala, who was the outside investor that actually controlled everything. So don't tax me, basically poor literal translation of that is Antonio the God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you talk about? This, he, the Antonio Brown I know isn't very egotistical. Why would his pseudonym be the God? <laughs> Except it's Allah is the Arabic for God, but not like God, like we would say capital G God. That is the actual name of God, like Jehovah to Christians or Jews. So it's not even a good translation. It would never be anybody's actual name. It doesn't sound like that. So it's just, so it's just another level of crazy. I don't get this. You're going to drive yourself crazy trying to understand crazy. So uh, just, you know, for your own sanity. (laughs) Well, to me, it's more like, I'm not trying to understand it exactly so much as I'm, looking at it and going 
God, you're so stupid. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. I feel like a lot of his antics were stuff from like you'd see on like the Jersey Shore back in the 2000s or something. But that's a whole well, other can of worms to make fun of. Yeah. Who this is what happens when bad behavior is enabled instead of dealt with. That's all I got to say. I don't know. I think uh Mike Tomlin might have been dealing with it for years and did everything he could. It's funny because at the same time period, uh, Le'Veon Bell was uh, kind of losing his mind, but he might have been uh, ahead of the curve because now fellow Steelers running back is similarly making a stand for uh, salaries for running backs. Contrasting from absolute bonkers wide receiver to somebody who I wish more people around the NFL were listening to right now, is Najee Harris, who may have just accidentally said the quiet part out loud again because somebody asked him. He basically looked around at what was happening at the running back position this offseason. It's bad news all the way around. Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be running backs right now. Mm -hmm. Nobody's getting a long-term deal. Zeke Elliott released. Dalvin Cook released. Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs all getting franchised. Austin Eckler's trade request is basically getting met with a middle finger by the Chargers. Aaron Jones took a gigantic pay cut just to stay with the Packers. And Najee Harris is looking a year or two down the road and going, something's got to give. Let's say you're Jalen Warren. You want your chance because, you know, you're like, hey, I'm good. You can save money by going with me. But then your chance is basically just to get shivved in a couple of years when your rookie contract ends, just like the guy before you. There's, it's so weird. There's no motivation. Like the only um, driving factor for a running back on a rookie contract right now is basically maybe he can get some endorsement deals. Meanwhile, like guys like Trubisky are paid $5 million to sit on the bench per year. And there's a lot of backup quarterbacks that have done less and get paid more. And you can't carve out $9 million for a star running back. It's, it's embarrassing. I mean, I was looking up um, while you were going through that, the, uh, when Le'Veon Bell held out, he held out 10 weeks and lost $8.6 million. Running backs don't even get paid that much anymore. It's crazy. Like the uh, the franchise tag that Jacobs, uh, Saquon, and Pollard were offered is just barely more than I think it was like nine ten million, which I think Le'Veon's tag was like four was fourteen point five million. So that also goes to show you that the running back size has just been going down because I believe the franchise tag is a factor of the highest paid players at their position. So in an era, that's of- exactly what it is of hyperinflation across the U.S. Running backs are getting paid. 50% less than they did 10 years ago, five years ago. And what, what's the point? And it's even more complicated because back then you could be a two down back and be a star like Adrian Peterson. But now you have to be a running back that catches passes, blocks, runs, everything. The Giants, when they put the franchise tag on Barkley, and this goes for everybody else that put the franchise tag on a running back this year, the franchise tag was 10.1 million. 10.1, okay. Yeah, that is a third less, maybe half, of what Le'Veon Bell's contract was when he held out. Not even 14.5 when I looked it up. Yeah. So like one third, two thirds or whatever. Yeah. So a third less. Significantly less. But back then, like getting paid 14.5 million or whatever wasn't 
considered a bad thing. It was that he wanted a long-term deal. Now they won't even give you the franchise tag money. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're the teams are doing not even doing the franchise tag unless you are in your prime and a top 10 running back. And even then, watch Delvin Cook highlights from last year. The dude was electric. I was going to say when he played, but then I think he played like 14, 15 games anyway. So, yeah, so. he's coming off multiple thousand yard seasons. So I don't know what Dalvin Cook was supposed to do other than not have birthdays. I laughed because I was looking at McCaffrey still going number one overall in fantasy drafts amongst running backs, but everyone's like worried, like the worry is the age cliff coming. It's like, then I find out he's only 27 because 27 is a new 30. Like, McCaffrey is still like electric and there's no signs of him being worse, but people are just like, meh, we just don't want him. Just, just move on. Pay, pay someone, pay someone less money, you know, just whatever it is, what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's right now. I'm seeing that a lot in the online forums and it drives me nuts. At least McCaffrey is everybody wants, everybody wants to say, we should trade him. You should cut him. You don't pay him. Don't pay him. Don't pay him because everyone thinks that's what makes them sound smart. Yeah, you pay him. Look, I mean, yeah, I get it. There, we're probably going to have a whole, you know, a whole bunch of people that have all these analytics that are going to try and say, "You, you're so stupid. You're going to pay a running back." Let's take that to the logical conclusion, shall we? Send your hate mail to Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. But. <laughs> All of those sort of statistical trends were to clue people in that there are limits to how much you should be paying a running back. The intent of those statistics was never, you should never pay a running back. Let's think for a minute if that were true, okay? If that were true, then any dollar spent above a minimum salary for a running back is a wasted dollar. No running back above the minimum veteran minimum should ever be signed. No matter, you should never even draft them except as throwaway picks in the sixth, seventh round where they're going to make barely enough money for them to even have lunch to bring. Is that really where we're going? Oh, wait, no, nobody would work for that. I've been saying for 10 years, you know, obviously way before I started this podcast, that the NFL ownership views running backs like yeah, hammers in a toolbox that you're not particularly careful with. You take it out of the toolbox, you swing and you go and bash it into, and willy nilly until the head of the hammer goes flying off. And then you chuck the handle over your shoulder and reach for the next one. This might make good business sense, but forgive me if I see running backs as people. I love this part here. I got a list of uh, 2023 quarterback cap hits it's going to lead to some highlights this is what you can do when you don't pay your running backs you can pay zach wilson 9.5 million you can pay trey lance 9.3 okay i'll give you this this is just the end of their rookie contract they're highly drafted that's not really flexible but jacoby Brissett is 8.5 million to back up sam howell in washington you got uh tyrod taylor getting paid 6.9 million to, to sit on the bench in uh new york Trubisky, I was actually undershooting when I said $5 million. He's actually $6 million against the cap. And as for mentioned, Taylor Heineke, he's five point seven. And then off the top of my head, I remember when former Dallas Cowboys slot receiver Cedric Wilson signed a three-year $24 million contract with Miami. He's getting paid $8.9 million. I haven't even 
heard from him since he's gone to Miami. But heaven forbid you pay a star running back so you can't pay because you can't pay for a backup quarterback who sucks or a backup receiver who's irrelevant. Sorry to slander you guys who are uh, or who are backup quarterbacks to use you as an example. Go get paid. You're at the top of your profession. You made it to the NFL. You're better than me. But I'll take Dalvin Cook. You know, just throwing it out there. This is one of those things that eventually you're going to get to the point where nobody's going to want to play running back. And by the way, this is coming to other positions. It's already started. Look at the safety market this year. Mm. There was absolutely no reason the top safeties in this class shouldn't have gotten paid big multi-year deals. Instead, they take a one-year $8 million deal from Detroit. Yep. I mean, Cedric Wilson. I mean, I really feel like I really feel like Detroit's the team that didn't get the memo here. Because at this point, of what four million a year that they're paying Montgomery is one of the highest veteran contracts in the NFL now, other than the franchise tag guy. You could pay Curtis Samuel 13 million. That's what he's at. Marcus Veldick Scandling 11, Tyler Boyd 10. Like, it's funny to me because, like, the big knock on Detroit's draft. Wasn't that they drafted good players? In fact, their first four draft picks were probably, other than Bijan Robinson being there with Gibbs, the best running, best player at each of their position. But people go, but you can't draft a running back that high. You can't draft an off-ball linebacker that high. You can't draft a safety in the second. You know, and it's like, or you just get the best player at each position on the, you know, late in. But I don't know. It's just it's weird to me. It's. It's a misallocation of resources. I kind of get it. It's It might be easier to get the – well, I mean, the branch pick in the second round was fine. But, I mean, Jack Campbell was the best linebacker in the draft unanimously and stuff. But they don't want to pay him. They don't want to pay the linebackers. I remember uh, – who's the linebacker that uh, San Francisco paid? Was it Fred Warner? People were – that was I controversial because how much they paid him, except – he is such a good cover linebacker. He is a gem. You should be paying for guys like that because they're so good and versatile, you know, just like a Christian McCaffrey on the same team. That's the other half of what I'm seeing. At some point, you're, safe, you're accumulating all this uh, cap space. Who exactly do you intend to pay? Okay, so you're going to pay your quarterback $55 million, $60 million a year, $70? Well, that's what is it's that going where we're from. going with this? Because at some point, it's, there's there's only one Patrick Mahomes. There's only one best quarterback in the NFL that all he needs is a left tackle, enough interior lineman that he stays upright, and one guy that beats single coverage. And you don't even have to have a complete defense. You just have to have a defense that can play from ahead. Okay, when you do that, sure, you can pay your quarterback $60 million. Everybody else in the world needs an off needs a complete offense and complete defense. So it becomes a matter of, you know, how realistic is that build? You can't just point to Kansas City and go do it that way. But that's what we're seeing. Because look at the two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year. Neither of them invested significant resources in running back. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're doing copycat league even if they don't understand the reasons why it worked they're trying to copy it and that's yeah exactly 
And, you know, it's just funny because you saw, I mean, off-season contracts were like what Daniel Jones, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo. None of these guys have a history of being good. I'd rather have a cheap quarterback that I don't know anything about and have good players around him. Just give me the uh, all-cut all-stars from this year's offseason and a fifth-round rookie, like second-year like Sam Howell, and let me build a team around that instead of paying Derek Carr $40 million a year. They don't understand where to put their money. Because the other thing, too, is it's a salary cap. You have to put your money somewhere. So if you have a quarterback on rookie contract, pay your running back. He's a crutch. He helps your quarterback grow. This is not MLB. Uh, where you can pay a team $150 million below the luxury tax threshold and guarantee yourself a profit. No, there's a minimum salary cap that you have to reach. Well, and the other thing, too, is, yeah, it's part of the player's bargaining agreement, right? Absolutely. So, like, because like, the thing is, I'm not saying back up the Brinks truck to every running back. In fact, you, can, you don't even have to give them all long-term deals like Ezekiel Elliott. You can just not cut them when they make $8 million, or you can pay them one-year deals when you have salary cap available and stuff like that when they're good. You know, if you don't want to tie into a long-term with Joe Mixon. Now, did you bring this up earlier in your rant, the Joe Mixon thing? Yeah, well, I saw an article earlier today that looked like it might be a healthy dose of speculation, but Mm. there is some uh, smoke starting to swirl that the – Bengals may put the ultimatum to Joe Mixon to either take a big pay cut or go join the unemployment line next to Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin Cook. And then we'll sign one of those guys. Which to me, I mean, the timing is suspicious. Of, of Why would they do that now? Well, it makes me laugh because, you know, talking about like Najee Harris and uh, Jalen Warren talking about a running back union or whatever, like this is exactly the climate a hundred some years ago in this country that led to unionization where companies would just say, you don't want to take this 13 hour job that pays nothing. Well, we got seven other guys lined up around the corner to take that job. So either deal with it or get paid nothing. And if this rumor about Mixon is true, that's what they're doing. They're saying, we got Fournette, we got Hunt, we got Cook, we got Zeke all sitting around. If you don't want to take a pay cut, we'll just grab one of them and pay them less than you because they just want to have a job. Now, assuming now this is all speculation, but I, I could totally see this happening. At the very least, they're trying to play them against each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I mean, I know that, the reports are Dalvin Cook is holding the line and saying he's not signing right now for anything less than a multi-year, eight-figure-a-year contract. I don't know how realistic that is, but he's perfectly willing to be patient and good for him. He's also I mean, earned enough so far that he's not going to go bankrupt we, if he never plays again. We, we says Odell Beckham Jr. sit out an entire year because he wanted to get paid, and he did get $15 million this year, but he also was injured when he sat out that year because he probably wasn't playing anyways. But Cook is healthy, so why waste a year? Get him get him in the room. I, I also saw the uh, thing where the Cook was talking about, hey, it would be great if he uh, joined forces with Hopkins somewhere, and uh, he's not wrong. They're both really good last year. They could turn, they could, those two could be a microwave for any fringe contender to just put them over into contender territory from uh, going from a, what do they call it? A fringe playoff hopeful to Super Bowl hope contender type, you know? 
if you got those two guys in the Absolutely. room, and they're just one of them out. could do that. Yeah, much less both. Like that could, that could be for another podcast speculating if we want to see what teams we'd want to see him join forces. But hopefully by next week, someone will be signed. Let's be honest. I know. I mean, at this point, it's easy to emphasize with some of these star running backs that are getting treated like yesterday's diapers. We know that Joe Burrow's next contract is going to be gigantic. It's going to reset the market. What are the betting odds that the dollar value of Joe Mixon's contract is higher than all running backs in the NFL combined? Like that might legitimately happen. Yeah, I could see that. I could totally, I could totally see that. I, yeah, I mean, he's, he's up for a contract. He's going to be a big one. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, the highest, there's only three players in the league with a bigger cap hit than the three franchise guys that don't want to sign their tenure. And one of them is Mixon at 12, another's Chubb at 14, and another is Henry at 16, according to the, again, um, according to cap hits ranking on a sport spot track. Um, this is the cap, not their actual like income. I don't know where McCaffrey is, but I mean, he's going to be getting paid 60 million plus Joe Burrow. That is. And then I saw Boyd is at 12, 10 million right now as a third slot receiver. So you're going to have um, Jamar Chase. He's going to get paid 25 million plus probably. And, and Higgins is going to want at least a four year, hundred million dollar contract, or at least an $80 million, something North of uh What's his name? Uh, Christian Kirk. So, right. Thank you very much, Jacksonville Jaguars, because everybody in the entire NFL can point to that one and go, I'm better than Christian Kirk. Fact. So, like, what's your take on the T. Higgins debate? I'm going to assume Burrow signs for 60 million per and resets the market. And I'm going to assume they're going to have to hold 25 million per at least, because I think that's what AJ Brown got. Jamar Chase might even get more. I mean, Chase and Jefferson are going to break the receiver market. There might be 26, 27 mil. Tyreek Hill, remember, is north of 30. Oh, okay. Well, then they'll, they'll probably be north of 30, let's be honest. So what's your take on T. Higgins? Could you pay him 20 million along with 30 million for Chase and 60 million and just basically live off rookie contracts and scraps? Oh, gosh. It would be so hard. It's hard to let him go but it'd be so hard to pay two receivers plus a quarterback that level. Oh my gosh. I mean, we've seen it before with Peyton Manning, Marvin Harris, and Reggie Wayne. That's what I keep thinking. Different era. Yeah. They still had Freen and Mathis on the defensive line that rounded out. Jeff Saturday on the offense. They had, well, you were saying, I believe in the last podcast that they had an all time great play from ahead defense. That's what the advantage is when you've got a dominant offense. You don't need a complete defense. You just need pass rushers and some coverage. All you need is people to punish the opponents for when you get up two scores. Yeah. Keep the other team from scoring quickly. But it's also weird in this era, though. It's hard to do that because if you're in the AFC, you're probably just in a shootout with the Bills and the Chiefs anyways, (laughs) you know? But at the same time, that's basically, I think, how you'd have to allocate your resources. I think if you're the Bengals, you got to find a way to keep those three together and then probably let Boyd go because if he's getting paid $10 million plus, and then you're going to have to find a cheap running back because they will legitimately, after they paid the new, their receivers and quarterbacks, not be able to afford Mixon's $12 million contract. And that's understandable. 
So they'll have to get one on the rookies, a rookie contract. That being said, Mixon's contract is up after 2024. Yeah, there's no reason why they can't pay him this year. Yeah, I agree. And Boyd this suit too. I'm just saying that speculation-wise, they're going to have to start drafting those guys to get a cheaper one if they want to contend and then keep their defensive line stocked with good young pass rushing talent and then hope they can coach up. You know, cornerbacks tend to be, uh, they tend to go really good, really bad. And you can get a cheap one who's off a bad year and then reclaim them the next year. You know, that tends to be a feasible strategy, especially if you're a contender, you might be able to attract better veterans. So I personally think the Bengals could keep those three together, Higgins, Chase, and Burrow, and just and just work around the fringes. I'm, I'm thinking like when people said the Miami Heat couldn't win with all their caps spent on Bosch, Wade, and uh, LeBron, but you can get veterans on the cheap to sign when you have a solid nucleus. And with the way the NFL is headed, if you have a strength at the passing game and you keep Joe Burrow alive, I think that they can put together a team that plays well from ahead. But what's your take on the Higgins? Would you let him go, though, to round out the team? You know, it's tough because a lot of the next-level analytics are actually pretty split on T. Higgins. You hear he does more with more touches. There's an advanced stat called – I forget what it's called. But anyway, there's an advanced stat that tracks how much yardage a receiver gets on a reception – compared to what is typical for that route situation, et cetera. And T Higgins is routinely one of the best in the league at that. That being said, Mm -hmm. in order to really unleash this, they need a significantly better offensive line than they've actually got going right now. So they are going to have to continue to invest in the offensive line. They've got a decent defense but they're going to lose some pieces. One of the advantages to a team like this is so many people are trying to crush any uh, uh, safety linebacker, you know, any of that kind of salary that those kind of run support players are dirt cheap right now. So you can get those pretty easily and not significantly crush your build. The downside is the pass rushers and corners that you need are not cheap. So at some point you're going to have to figure something out. Something's going to give. You're either going to have you're either going to try and be the, you know, early Aaron Rodgers Packers where you're going to outscore people 50 to 49 or T Higgins might have to go because his 25 million a year can get you two very good starters, like pro bowl level starters at other places on the team. To me, the worry, and I think you bring that up. So as much as I'd like to keep that together, I don't think the Bengals have had a particularly good track record recently of drafting and developing offensive linemen. And that's the part that worries me because they sent been a lot of money in free agency last year, and that did not really help. They threw a lot of money at Orlando Brown this year. When they start signing these, you know, the, the big three to their extensions, those offensive linemen are going to have to walk. So even their higher paid guys that haven't really panned out are at least better than what they might be scraping off the bottom of the barrel in a couple of years. And that to me is the case against signing T Higgins or not trading him because you're going to need to keep Joe Burrow alive 
to be honest. And if you keep Jamar Chase there, it's it's just easier for a wide receiver two to function because Chase just draws so much gravity towards him on the defense. At the end of the day, though, it comes down to the draft. You're if you're having success in the draft, then your team is going to be successful because you can find contributors and on short notice and on relatively affordable deals, especially if you can get them later in the draft. If not, then it's going to be tough. Just ask the Seahawks. You hit on five draft picks in one uh, draft and you immediately turn your team around after uh, going to Geno Smith. Oh, yeah. You have to hit on the draft. That's the bottom line. You have to pay your stars and then you have to do your draft evaluation. It's really the only way to do it because when you hit on your draft, they're going to get paid. But you have to keep drafting well. It is the vicious cycle, you know? What do you think the Bengals are going to do with T. Higgins? Let us know with an email at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. Give us your opinions and you can be part of the show. If it does come down to the draft, that's exactly what the Lions have been doing the last couple of years. They've done very well in their last two drafts. They've gotten a lot of support, including from later in the draft with usable players. And one of the things that I wanted to do, though, to kind of it ended up being a little bit of a reality check, actually, as a Lions fan. What did the Lions get for Matt Stafford? Most people know that Matt Stafford was traded by the Lions to the Rams and the Rams gave back two first round draft picks. Okay, but it gets really complicated after that because both of those first round draft picks were eventually traded again. This gets spider webby in a very big hurry where it goes off in just every kind of direction. I want to see your beautiful minds like whiteboard or chalkboard that uh, tracked all this. (laughs) The conspiracy theory with the photographs and the red string everywhere. That is totally happening here. Okay, 100%. So let's start this off first with the basics of the basics. At the very beginning, Rams get quarterback Matt Stafford and Detroit gets the Rams third rounder in 2021. People forget about that pick. The first round pick for the Rams in 2022 and 2023. The pick in 2021 eventually became a cornerback. Ifeatu Melifanwu who by year three, which is now, has already been moved to safety and has played a total of, I believe, 17 games because of injury. He's already looking like he could be a bust, but third-round pick, corner, okay. Bust rate's fairly high. First-round pick in 2022 was eventually used as part of the package for the Lions to trade up and get Jamison Williams. Here is that complete trade. Detroit got from Minnesota the 12 overall pick in 2022 that they used to draft Jamison Williams, who we have talked about at length on this podcast. He was hurt all year last year. People were surprised he played it all. He got in trouble this offseason with gambling, and there's a couple of other boneheaded things that he did locally that didn't make national news. Um. The Lions also got Minnesota's second round pick, the 46th overall pick, which became defensive lineman Josh Josh Paschal, who was also hurt all last year. 
That was the defensive lineman out of Kentucky. And they're already talking about him like he may not make it out of training camp. Really? I thought he was considered a bargain at the time. Damn. He was. And they and he's one of the guys that the local media is pointing to, like, might be in trouble for his roster spot. They have a deed at that spot, too. In exchange for all of that talent Detroit got, Minnesota got the original Los Angeles Rams pick number 32 overall in 2022. That became safety Lewis uh, Seen or Sign? Seen. Seen, who was not seen all last year because he was hurt. Minnesota got the number 34 pick from which was Detroit's own second round pick, which they eventually traded to Green Bay and became Christian Watson. <laughs> and he's already had a and, Min- demo. and Minnesota got also the 66th overall pick, which is uh, the Lions' own third round pick, which became Brian Asamoah. That's already not looking like a very good trade. It looked good on paper, but the dreaded B label is starting to look pretty scary for both of those players. I would say 2023 is a make or break year for both Jamison Williams and Josh Paschal. Mm -hmm. This gets us to 2023. The Los Angeles Rams, everybody knows that if you heard of them last year in LA, they were hurt. Like, it was the disaster year for the Rams. The worst possible year. So, the Rams 2023 first-round pick became the sixth overall pick. They ended up trading down to Arizona. Arizona got the number six and the number 81 from Detroit. More on what those were in a moment. And Detroit got... The 12th overall pick, which was originally Houston, Cleveland, and then Houston, and then Arizona. It was, you know, passed around like a pack of cigarettes. And that was the pick that became Jameer Gibbs. So because of that, Jameer Gibbs becomes a Lion at 12. The Lions got Arizona's pick in the second round that was Sam Laporta, the tight end. They got number 168, which was... I believe eventually traded back and the number 96, which was defensive tackle Broderick Martin in the third round that we've talked about before you and I both thought he was seriously overdrafted. Agreed. Yeah. There were two separate trades with Arizona and the 168 was given back to Arizona as part of the second trade when the Lions traded back up to get Broderick Martin. So that was actually a trade up to get. Okay. So for the Broderick Martin leg, Arizona got at 168 linebacker Owen Popoe. Who knows what he'll turn into at 139 quarterback Clayton Toon, probably a career backup. And at 122 offensive guard, John Gaines the second. Might have been a swap of nothing. We'll see. I don't know. At the top of the draft, Arizona got uh, the number six spot from it was originally the Rams pick, and that became offensive tackle Paris Johnson. Oh, yeah. Detroit's 81 was eventually traded to Tennessee and became Ty J Spears. So let's recap. It wasn't just Stafford. 
in this trade, Detroit got in 2021 cornerback Ifeatu Melifonwu. In 2022, they got Jamison Williams and Josh Paschal. In 2023, they got Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, and defensive tackle Broderick Mark. And in exchange, the Lions gave up. Quarterback Matt Stafford to the Rams won a Super Bowl. Lewis seen who hasn't been seen to Minnesota. Brian Asamoah to Minnesota. Christian Watson to Green Bay. Paris Johnson to Arizona. And a bunch of low pick guys. John Gaines the second. Clayton Toon and Owen Popoe to Arizona. And Tajay Spears to Tennessee. What are you thinking? I think that you remember they also got Jared Goff directly. Um, I think I would rather it's it's True. crazy that it's really coming down to Gibbs and uh Laporta seem like the two promising ones from this trade, and they haven't even set foot on a in a preseason game yet. Um it's rough. It's it's weird too when you think about it because the Lions have had such good drafts the last couple of years. And they basically did it without, but none of it from the draft that from the picks that happened to come from LA. Yeah, exactly. Unless Jamison, exactly. unless Jamison Williams and or Josh Paschal show up suddenly out of nowhere and start doing what the Lions drafted them to do. Yeah. So uh, and that's. I mean, I did that analysis, and as a Lions fan, it was pretty sober. It's sad because I think you'd rather have just said Pat at 32 and just taken Tristan Watson than trade up for uh, JMO at this point because Watson also had injuries his rookie year, but also lit the world on fire for at least a couple of games and showed what he could do. Uh, I believe Jamison Williams had one catch the entire season. His highlight was, I think, on a jet sweep when he did score a touchdown, but it was on a run. But I think he only had one No, catch. it wasn't. It, w- it was a legit deep ball. No, I thought he had a, he had a second a, touchdown on like a jet sweep or something, but he only had one. He catch. caught one ball all year. Yeah, they did hand him the ball like two or three times. It never amounted to much. Um, yeah, he caught one catch and immediately pissed off the coach because he spent the last five yards turning around, barking at the cornerback and trying to show him up. So we're both no. So I'm right. He had a he had a forty yard. He had one carry for forty yards and a touchdown, and one catch for forty one yards and a touchdown. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. I'm misremembering. Yeah. So he had two touches for the entire year, but they they were very efficient. He averaged forty point five yards per touch, but also with that much explosiveness, it's weird he couldn't get on the field anymore. And also, by the way, he had one catch, but he did have nine targets. He caught one catch in nine, eleven percent. I'm pretty sure Amon Ross St. Brown's uh, catch rate is a little bit higher than that. And that's another reason that the coaching staff was not too happy with him. You know, over the last year, and for those of you who are not like local Lions fans, there was massive beef for a decade between the Lions and Calvin Johnson that was only very recently buried. Like after the ownership change when Cam- and Campbell and company came in. So Basically, just this last year, they had Calvin Johnson in camp, in minicamp actually this year, pretty much just to take Jamison Williams under his wing, which could be the best thing that ever happened to Jamison Williams. I, mean, I hope so. I mean, just perspective, the 11% catch rate, uh, St. Brown in two seasons is 
I mean, there's an argument that maybe JMO runs longer routes, but also catching more than one would be useful. Pretty sure he's had some underneath that throws. He has looked lost at times. And some of that is, you know, he really wasn't in the offseason training programs at any point. He's dropping a lot of balls this year, which is getting reported locally by Lions Press, which is usually happy talk time. I mean, Jamar Chase was also re- widely reported. Oh, yeah. that was Jamar famous. Chase like, was also. He couldn't track the ball without the white stripes that they had in college or something like that. And then he just comes out and puts up like 1,500 yards as a rookie anyways. That yeah, was such a I, I read he was catching nerf balls in on the offseason and was dropping everything in camp. I mean, longtime Lions fans might remember Herman Moore's rookie year, which was brutal. And then they found out and then they found out that he needed glasses. So oh, wild thing. contacts. So he put in contacts for the rest of his career and he was if not a Hall of Famer, then one of the best Lions receivers. They should get him the uh, wild thing glasses like they did in Major League for Charlie. <laughs> I think he might appreciate that. He does. Herman Moore is does still make appearances around town. And he's got a sense of humor. Nice. Let's not talk about the Matt Stafford trade like it's the be all end all because Matt Stafford won a Super Bowl for the Rams that's what it's all about the Lions have hit on a ton of their other picks and maybe that gave them the ammo to get the whiffs out of the way who knows but it might just been a coincidence that the hits were all the non-Stafford picks you know um and let's be honest we we should revisit this next offseason because who knows Jameer Gibbs and uh, Laporta and Jamo could be all world this year. And the uh, Lions could be holding a Super Bowl with, you know, those three guys being the, having the ball thrown to by Jared Goff, who all came from that trade. So you never know. Right. They could all be bust this time next year. And they're, and then Booker's the starter going into next year. And, uh, and all of the same old Lions fans get jump on the car and grab the megaphone and say, we were right, which is at sometimes what I think they want. To do an awkward transition and go to former NFC North quarterbacks. Like, like yeah, Matt go Stafford. to curious uh, personnel moves. This week's signings are now eight former Packers on the Jets this year. Wow, New York really loves uh, Wisconsiners, I guess. I guess. I mean, everybody knows Aaron Rodgers. Wide receiver. The other guys are Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and Malik Taylor, all wide receivers. Tim Boyle, a backup quarterback. Of course, the uh, head coach, the offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett's a former Packer. That might have something to do with this. Also, offensive tackle Billy Turner and safety Adrian Amos. Now, I'm not sure how many of those are actually going to be starters, but you know that Aaron Rodgers is going to throw a disproportionate number of times to Lazard and Cobb. You just know it. It reminds me of when everywhere LeBron goes, he brings his same like three guys on the bench to fill out the roster, like James Jones and stuff like that. Although James Jones is retired. Right. He just trusts their (laughs) veteran presence, even if they're not good anymore, you know? 
gets him paid. Please hire me, and while you're at it, please also hire the cadaver of Delvadova. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's funny though with the reunification of uh, Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett, because a lot of people thought Hackett was hired by Denver because they were trying to trade for Aaron Rodgers, and then when the Packers re-signed Rodgers. They traded for Russell Wilson the same day to steal the thunder, if you remember that. And that did not work out well. <laughs> Hackett, for all of, <laughs> as good as he was as an OC in Green Bay, maybe that's more LaFour just calling the plays and Hackett was running, you know, just repeating them down to the, on the headset or something, you know. But uh, we'll see if he can uh, handle it in, uh, in New York. I mean, the interesting part about all these guys is they're going from the, the Green Bay market to the New York market. It feels like there's a little bit more uh, beat writers and they might be a little bit more, uh, a little bit less rosy than the Wisconsiners, you know. I'm hearing word that the New York media has already kind of had it with Aaron Rodgers might have something to do with the Trump support might have something to do with the fact that he has one of those personality infections that never gets any better. You mean the fact that none of his family talks to him or he doesn't talk to any of them. It's weird that a beat reporter in New York wouldn't get along with him. Hey, when you say he's a Trump yeah. supporter, I thought New York was a city built by Trump according to Trump. So who knows? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Lots of things are according to Trump. The, the funny part is on the list of guys you mentioned, it just basically seemed like he's getting his buddies paid. The only one that I think of as an elite player is Adrian Amos. He was a former Bears safety and Packers safety, and he was always really good. And uh, that's an underrated signing for the Jets defense. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers ain't going to throw him the ball other than interceptions in practice. But uh, it's interesting. Um, it, it, I don't think we've ever really seen this work out when one team just picks up guys from the other like I think you're already kind of seeing a little light version of uh, Sean Payton's grabbed a couple saints already like Adam Troutman in a draft day trade and stuff and uh, he's a tight end of the saints and I'm reminded of when every team in the NBA tried to grab every do nothing garbage player off of the Chicago Bulls like you know when the Pistons signed Bison Daly and thought they signed solved their center problem are you talking about in the late 90s after the, the during the Jordan yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's a Jordan champion. Era. The guy has a Super Bowl ring. He must be good, even if all he did was sit, a, hold a clipboard and sit on the bench. He was there for the practices and knows what a champion. That's what they talk themselves into. You know, it's just, it's always funny to me that it's like you, the guy sitting on the bench didn't win the Super Bowl, even though he has the ring. Hey, I mean, Ronald Jones is going for his third straight Super Bowl championship with the Cowboys this year. He rode the bench to the Chiefs ship victory. I think he was cut that year. And then he rode the bench to, uh, uh, no, no, he was on the, I think he was on the bench for the Tom Brady Bucks, and then he got cut and then won the Super Bowl with the Chiefs last year. It's something like that. I got to look it up. Sorry. <laughs> but keep going. But now he's a Cowboy, so watch out. The Cowboys are an underrated Super Bowl team. Speaking of underrated championship teams, though, let's talk about our underdog draft from last week. I'd like to start with just the rundown of who did we get and when, if you've got that. So... We have at quarterback, we have Justin Fields, Matt Stafford, and Sam Howell. We have at running back, we have Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, Cam Akers, Khalil Herbert, Jerome Ford of Cleveland, and Kenneth Gainwell of the Philadelphia Eagles. Super Bowl runner-up, not quite a champion. Uh, Cooper Cup, DJ Moore, Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, aforementioned. Sky Moore, three second-year receivers in a row. DJ Chark, former Lion. And Tim Patrick as our wide receiver core. 
with David Njoku of the Browns and Dawson Knox of the Bills as our tight ends. And I can go okay, through. So, that. what are you the happiest with of our team? What position group? And which one gives you the most worry? I think, from a value perspective, I think the quarterbacks getting Stafford and Howell super late and Fields, I think, was like the sixth quarterback off the board. I think we got really good value there. And if Stafford returns to a top 10 run quarterback this year, that's going to be a really good one. Although only one quarterback counts each week, but that will help raise the floor for a steady flow or steady points. I actually like our running backs the most. I think Taylor's going to have a bounce back year with the Colts defense offensive line getting healthy. I think if Brees Hall returns to 90, 95% of what he was as a rookie, if he comes full, full, uh, he injured his ACL early and it was just the ACL, it was pretty clean. Uh, that dude was a top six running back when he went out after week seven. Uh, Cam Akers has top five potential. He, he flashed, uh, top, he was a top five quarter running back down the stretch, and there's not really anyone else there. There was a report that Sony Michelle's being re-signed by the Rams, and he's not really a threat to take over from Cam. He's more of a backup. And Herbert, he was really good last year, and he could hold off the two young, you know, the rookie and the new guy in Chicago. And I think the running back core is really good. And Ford could be the underrated handcuff for Chubb and Gainwell. You know, they didn't put a lot of uh, um, capital into Swift or Rashad Penny. They're big names, but Penny was like 1.3 one-year contract, and Swift was like a 2025 fourth-round pick. Uh, that they traded for. So I wouldn't be surprised. And they both have injury history. So I could see Gainwell being, you know, the lead back there. I think that is a really deep running back core. And we also kind of waited on it. We didn't reach for any of these guys. I think that's a really good running back core. Um, The receiver is my worry because after Cooper Cup and DJ Moore, which I really like, especially with the fact that they're stacked with their quarterback. So if they go off, their quarterback goes off. The next guys, Traylon Burks, J-Mo, and Sky Moore are all second-year receivers who did not do much as a rookie. And we need at least one of those because three receivers start every week. And we need one of those guys to do something. J-Mo is going to be suspended. Uh, Chark is fine. He could be the best guy in Carolina, and I've heard stories that Tim Patrick is Russell Wilson's. But until I see him play healthy and actually produce, you know, we can't really count on that. That's why he was our 18th-round pick. So I think the receivers yeah. is what gives me the most uh, fear that we got to go with three of those. I wish we could start four of our running backs and two receivers instead of two running backs and four receivers with this team. Yeah, I really like our running backs. I know that the trend right now is to go all kinds of running backs up top or, well, that might not be the trend this year, but historically the trend has been running back, running back, bunch of wide receivers running avoid the running back dead zone for those of you who aren't uh fantasy football aficionados the running back dead zone is basically the mentality that all the running backs have been picked over in the first two rounds so don't even bother picking a running back in rounds three through six that is not what we're doing and i don't think it's the the go-to uh strategy for this year I think the running back value in the second, third, fourth round is really, really good. Well, and it's weird because this year you have like a receiver dead zone in the third round where like you can draft Calvin Ridley, who's a big unknown, Amari Cooper, uh, Debo, uh, Chris Godwin, you know, Jerry Judy, et cetera. Or you could draft Brees Hall, Najee, or uh, Ken Walker, or Gainwell, or Gibbs. 
And then also like in that dead zone is aging Keenan Allen, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who's not on a team, you know, like it's kind of, it's a reversal from normal. And I think that's because they put such a heavy emphasis on receivers in the first two rounds that you're getting really good value with the running backs in the second and third. Cause my strategy normally is get an anchor RB, get one good running back and then hammer wide receivers. But we did the opposite. We did anchor wide receiver with Cooper Cup, and then we went running back, running back. Right, which might bite us if we get hit by injury, because running back is definitely the one that's most likely to get hit by injury. But go ahead and look at our team. Can we pull up our team again, please? Can you? Oh, just the team? Because Okay. Well, I was just going to say what hurt the most, I think, is if we got Deontay Johnson to fall one spot in the sixth round before we got Traylon Burks, I'd feel a lot more uh, safe about what we had. All right. So yeah. I, I hear that. But if you look at our team, what's the upside? Justin Fields could easily be a top five fantasy run, uh, quarterback. Easily. Mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford. I think he could top probably 10. doesn't have that high a ceiling, but he could be a top 10 and give some league winning weeks. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall could both easily be top five running backs. I mean, Jonathan Taylor. Cam Akers, Cam Akers has top five upside. Mm-hmm. Khalil Herbert probably doesn't have top five upside, but he could be top 10 if he holds off everybody else. Well, Khalil Herbert doesn't get their pass game work, but guess what? Fields doesn't really check down like most running quarterbacks. He takes off himself, so it doesn't really hurt that he doesn't get their pass game work. But it also limits Cooper him from Cup. being a top 12. Go on. Cooper Cup, DJ Moore, and could all be, you know, high quarter wide receivers. I mean, Cup. Jamison Williams. Cup could be the number one receiver. Cup was the number one when he got hurt last year. People forget about that because of all the Jamar Chase and Jefferson hype. But Cooper was number one, I think, going into week nine. But you get guys like. You know, if Jamison Williams comes back on fire, if I don't think DJ uh, Moore is going to be the 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 top five guy, but he, he's a top twenty. Is a, he's a high floor guy, and he's a certain top. Yeah, he's not a top. He's he's never been a wide receiver one, but he's never not been a wide receiver two. He's kind of just in. He's he is kind of what he is. You yeah. know, he's a he's a he's a floor raiser, which we need. And who knows? I mean, DJ, uh, AJ Brown was kind of like that. I mean, he was a wide receiver one, but they didn't throw much when he was in Tennessee, but he still did well. And who knows? Maybe all the reports of Fields taking a step forward as a passer coupled with DJ Moore. This could be DJ Moore's best year. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be top 12, but he, I could see him being in top 15, but at least if, top 20. If you get, if Traylon Burks takes the next step and they go with Tannehill, so that they actually have somebody with a pulse at quarterback. Traylon Burks could be a number one receiver. Yeah, I really like who that. Who else are they gonna who else are they gonna have to go down the field? Yeah. And for uh what seventh round, sixth round pick? Uh which we're talking there about. Are, there are worse Eight, sixth seven. round picks. Sixth round, yeah. Sky Moore, who knows if he takes the next step. Really, we've got DJ Moore safe. Cooper Cup hero, and just the best week each week out of Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, Sky Moore, DJ Chark, Tim Patrick. Hey, I think we're okay. I think unless Cooper Cup gets hurt. 
Yeah. And I, I think the thing too, is I think Burks is going to take a step forward because I think he's going to be better this year. Jamison Williams, I think will have spike weeks when he comes back. I don't know if he'll be consistent, but if he has three good weeks, I'll take it. That's all we need from him. You know, the value Sky Moore is interesting. Cause I really was high on his draft capital. Um, his draft profile as a rookie, He's kind of lost in that KC, but he actually had pretty good snap counts in um, in the playoffs. Uh, Tony had a couple highlights, so people are excited for him, but they didn't realize that uh, more he was a, he was a gimmick guy, and, and I think Sky Moore could take that next step, especially since they let uh, Juju walk. But it could also be Justin Ross. It could be one of the, the, the rookie they got. Who knows? But or they could um, just spread it around. Yeah, and I'll take the moment. And if they spread it around, I mean, we've seen like Justin Watson have two touchdown games, you know. So I mean, who knows? He could he could have a couple of those. And DJ Chark, I think, is probably going to be the best receiver in Carolina for whatever that's worth. Uh, Thielen's old. I don't think Mingo's ready. So I think Chark will put up some big games. You know, I mean, he he had some he had a really good year in Jacksonville. People forget about that, and he was a solid receiver. He had a solid but- year in Detroit. It's just one of those things where, just, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's true. He did have 800 yards in like half a season, basically. Yeah, I don't think we have much at tight end, but you know, I'm also not worried about I'm tight not, end. I'm not worried because I don't think we're at a massive deficit with Njoku, and Knox will probably catch some touchdowns even with uh, Kincaid there. Um, I just think if you don't have Kelsey, you know just getting i mean with this tight end crew normally i would have liked to have gotten one extra tight end just to help ride the random touchdown weeks you know give us three option three chances to catch it to you know for the dice roll if you're playing dungeons and dragons yeah that's what i was thinking but just heads up be three bites at the apple so this is what i was thinking cooper cup was actually the number two overall wide receiver when he got hurt behind tyree kill but he was number one in points per game last year. People forgot about that because he, you know, didn't finish the season. Uh, but he was averaging 20 points per game and half point PPR. So. Yeah, that works. So, I mean, he literally does have wide receiver one overall. I mean, he was the wide receiver one overall for one and a half seasons. That doesn't mean he's going to get back to full strength, but I actually do think the Rams this year are an underrated um, by low in general like Cooper cup, like acres, like um, uh, Stafford. So I, I like that stack, to be honest. I really like that as a value, especially because we're not other than Cooper cup. We're not counting on any of them, any of them to start. How far do you think this uh, underdog team will get? I think it's going to be pretty good because part of it too, is the teams that I had last year that fell apart were my two quarterback teams where one of them got injured and the other got benched. So like, I had got teams with a Lamar or Kyler where I went really cheap on the backup. And when those guys missed the end of the season, I had teams in first place that I'm like, Oh my God, could I just have Gardner Minshew to eke me a couple points per game the last few weeks, you know, to uh, get me into the finals. But um, I think having three quarterbacks should really help that uh, with that. And then I think basically we're going to have steady steady points from quarterback running back and at least two receivers. Um, So I think we're going to finish in the top three, to be honest. Um, And really whether we win or not depends on what these five receivers do. The uh, trail on Burks, Jamison Williams, DJ Moore, sky DJ Chark, sky Moore, 
and Tim Patrick. I just realized we have DJ Moore, Sky Moore, and DJ Chark. That's going to be confusing. But basically, our bottom five receivers of our seven. <laughs> two DJs, two Moors. Oh, fun. We'll see who wins our Moore of the Year award. Nice. Nice. But Thank yeah, so, you, John Madden. And, but the good news is, of those five, we only need one of them to hit on any given Sunday to uh, produce, to be honest. That's why I like our chances. Yeah, so I think we're in good shape. And I think Knox as a 17th rounder is really underrated value because rookie tight ends, everyone's on Kincaid. And I, I do like his profile, but I, I won't be surprised if Allen trusts Knox, especially in the red zone, and Knox somehow has one of those 10 touchdown years like Jimmy Graham in Seattle where he was just basically a touchdown vulture or in Chicago. For us, that works. Yeah, I'll take it, especially because I think Njoku's good, and if Deshaun Watson takes a step forward, our tight end play could actually be just fine. I'm not, and if they're not fine, I'm. I don't think it's going to hurt us because I think our quarterbacks, top top couple receivers, and our running backs are going to keep us in every week. So, if you think we're geniuses or idiots or anything in between, let us know at Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com but that's all the time we have for this week to uh enlighten you and uh let entertain you even more importantly than what we think of as our harebrained takes we're going to take it into the locker room it's time for the fifth quarter but we do hope that you uh come back next week for our what if segment on what if the colts drafted ryan leaf that's coming next week so if you want to uh, join us for that, please do. If you got anything else you want to talk about, hit us up at that email. And until that time, we will see you later. I miss you already.